Well, today as we're gathering together, we've come to the conclusion of our study in the book of the Psalms. And for some of you, you must be thinking, wow, it's about time we made it through the Psalms. And for those of you just joining us, don't worry, we didn't go through all 150 of them. Or perhaps maybe you wanted us to go through all 150 of them. Nonetheless, we've taken the last 12 weeks uh, going through the book of Psalms, and today we're going to conclude that sermon series, and I thought it would be appropriate to end the book of Psalms with Psalm 2. And we've chosen Psalm 2 today because it is about King Jesus. Yeah, so many of the Psalms foreshadow and point, some point quite explicitly, to this King that is promised, the Messiah. And so today we're going to look at one of those Psalms called a Messianic Psalm, or a royal psalm, and so that is Psalm 2 that we're looking at today. Three things we're going to uh, get from the psalm, uh, this Psalm 2, in terms of principles, and then, of course, we'll look at some applications uh, regarding these principles. The first one is the role of King Jesus, and so we're going to try to answer the question there, why do we even need a King Jesus? And the second thing we're going to look at is the rejection of King Jesus. Yeah, why is it that we, humans, uh, modern-day people, reject King Jesus? And the third thing we'll look at from Psalm 2 is receiving this King Jesus. So we're going to learn uh, on that one uh, how to pledge glad allegiance to this King Jesus. So I'm real excited in this summary or in this uh, conclusion today of the book of Psalms here in Psalm 2. But before we get started, uh, we come with a heavy heart today. Uh, we're remembering two specific people as we come together today, and the first one is Jacob Blake. Uh, Jacob Blake is another black man that was shot uh, this past week, and Jacob Blake was shot seven times in the back by a police officer and has been left uh, paralyzed uh, from the waist down, I believe it is, and we, we just want to say that we grieve that. We, we grieve that racial injustice. We grieve with, with Jacob Blake, the family. We, we stand in solidarity with other NBA players and professional athletes and even social activists who are marching to stand up against the fight uh, for um, social justice and against racial inequality. Uh, The second person that we're remembering this weekend is Chadwick Boseman. Uh, We remember uh, him and his death just this weekend as he died to stage four colon cancer. What a huge loss. And uh, if you're remembering with me, you'll remember his role in playing uh, Thurgood Thurgood Marshall in the movie Marshall. Um, You'll remember him where he played James Brown in the movie Get On Up. And you'll remember him playing Jackie Robinson, uh, the MLB player in the movie 42. And yet perhaps you'll remember him uh, most by his role as uh, King T'Challa in the movie Black Panther. And so for Chadwick uh, Boseman and the loss thereof, we we say Wakanda forever and uh, rest in peace. The, The fight continues to stand up against uh, racial injustice. Uh, If Black Panther were here, what would he say to the shooting of Jacob Blake? 
Think about that with me. We always like to start with a question, and so I, I pose this as a question. Uh, what would Black Panther say to and say about the shootings of Jacob Blake? And I'm going to use two quotes from this Marvel superhero, Black Panther, and I want you to remember these quotes with me. And the first quote goes like this. We must find a way to look after one another as if we were one single tribe. Wow, what, what great wisdom that's given there from, from Black Panther. The second quote he said in the movie, in times of crisis, it's the wise that build bridges while the foolish build barriers. Once again, great wisdom coming from that king, Black Panther, King uh, T'Challa there. And so as we now turn our attention towards King Jesus, what would King Jesus, what is King Jesus attempting to say to you and to me today as we're in the Psalms together, Psalm 2? Well, we've spent the last 12 weeks in the Psalms and there's just this rawness. There's been this brutal honesty that the psalmist has. And so we can relate to that, right? There's a sense of honesty that you long for and that that is where you're going to experience God when you're truly honest. Uh, it's not a call towards, hey, just say praise Jesus and hallelujah. That's what the Psalms is really about. And yet your life and the world that we live in is full of chaos and full of injustice. And so there's clearly a disconnect for some of us. Yet the psalmist is always inviting us to, to join those two realities together. Yeah, the the, the, the harsh world that you and I live in and the gentleness uh, that, that God and the compassion that God provides for us and how to experience that God. So I remember years ago when, when uh, someone had uh, led me to faith in Christ and they were encouraging me to uh, read the Bible. One of the uh, books of the Bible that they wanted me to read and reread and I'm still rereading it, is the book of Psalms. And as I started reading that book, the Psalms, I, I found the book of Psalms very different. The book of Psalms was very artistic. It was like poetry. The book of Psalms used metaphor, used images to explain God and, and to explain our experience with God. And so I loved it. I still love the book of Psalms. I started reading things like, God keeps my tears in his bottle, Psalm 56, verse 8. Or I started understanding that God is my shield, Psalm 28, verse 7. Or that God is my rock, Psalm 18, verse 2. Or it's under God's wings that we find refuge, Psalm 91, verse 4. Or that the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. Or today, that the king, that is the true king, is this anointed one, King Jesus. That is Psalm 2. So why don't we read that together right now? So I invite you to turn to the middle portion of your Bible where you'll find the book of Psalms, and we're going to read Psalm 2 together. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, 
Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the son, for he will be angry and your, your way will be led to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up at a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Well, this first thing we're going to look at here is the role of King Jesus. And that is, we have a king. God has given us a king. Of course, moments from now, as we continue to look at Psalm 2, we're going to see how we reject that king. Uh, but, but nonetheless, God has given us, God has provided, he has anointed a king. There's a great quote from Louis La Amour. Uh, he was an American novelist, a short story writer uh, in his novel in 1982 called Comstock Load. He writes, because a man plays a king superbly well does not mean that he would make a good king. <laughs> See, it's very possible that we could pose or someone could pose as a king, having, wanting us to think that they have attributes of a good leader or a king, yet they are not qualified. We are not qualified to be our own king. Psalm 2 is known as a messianic psalm. doesn't mean that it's messy. <laughs> it means that it's about the Messiah. There's this promised one who has been told about and prophesied in the Old Testament that he would come. That he would be the Messiah. He would be this promised one. And so it's called, Psalm 2 is called a messianic psalm. And there are other messianic psalms, such as Psalm 22, uh, because Jesus picked out a few of these psalms, and he says that this psalm talked about David, but in a greater way, it's talking about me, King Jesus. So Messianic psalms can be read on two levels. The very first level that a Messianic psalm can be read is, uh, you can read it in the immediate historical reference uh, to David here in Psalm 2, where it's a coronation psalm. It's written perhaps when David was crowned king of Israel. There's a coronation that's, that's going on. And if you read Psalm 2 very carefully, you're going to see the second way to read Psalm 2, and it's a messianic psalm. It's to read it with Jesus in, in mind. The ultimate reference to a greater David, a greater king, a greater warrior, a greater suffering servant. A king of the nations, not just the king of Israel, but the nations. Verse 2, he says, the anointed. And this is beautiful because in the Hebrew, this is the word Mashiach, which, means, which is where we get the word Messiah. Yeah, G Jesus, this, this heir of David, who would in time come and, is, and is, who is being promised, is the anointed one. He is the promised 
one. Verse four, it says that we have a king who's enthroned in heaven. Yeah, this, this king is above all. He's above all other kings. He's above all other kingdoms. He's more powerful than all other kings. He knows more than all other kings, has more resources than all other kingdoms. Verse six is that he is installed by God, that there is a true king. There is a true king. And so the Messiah's role is to bring light to the nations and that the nations would be blessed in him and taking refuge in this king, not taking refuge in themselves. See, that's the role of King Jesus. It's the role that God has in mind. Think about our fascination with kings. Think about the ancient legends in, in all of our cultures that say, that say somewhere in their story, their story started out with a good king, a great king. And yet something uh, has taken that great king away. And then they'll say a part of their story, but that king is coming back. Uh, most cultures have this sort of uh, story template, but, but that king is coming back. And when that king comes back, that king's going to make all things right again. That king's going to bring justice again. All things are going to be good again. When you think about, for example, when you think about the Robin Hood legend, fighting because the good king is gone and, and fighting until the good king comes back. And this hope that this good king is going to return. Or you may think of the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien's books. A basic theme is that there is a good king. And when this good king shows up, everything will blossom. That's the role of this king. The role of this king is not to usurp power from you or to trick or manipulate you, but the role of the king is to be a good king and truly give you liberation and freedom. And so we have this fascination with kings and with all legends, but think about the actual record of earthly kings. Most of the time it's tyranny and slavery some kind of royalty left in some nations that are out there. There's this fascination with a king. Yet here in the United States, where there is no king, uh, we take other people and we sort of make them into a king at times, don't we? Like a billionaire or a president or professional athletes. We crown them as kings. We adore them. We give ourselves over to a leader who's persuasive or charismatic or dynamic. And that's because we actually were made for a king. We, we were made for a king, yet none of us have the ability, none of us have the chops or the resume to, to, to rule. We're not fit to rule, yet we need a king. We're made for a, a king. All the superhero myths about kings is because there's some moral or rather, there's some memory trace within us that there, that there is a king. There is a God and king who, who loves us and who's not trying to just get power over us and bully us, but there's some memory about this king who did rule with great power and compassion and that they were, were meant to submit to this king. Yet, this gets us to our second point here, yet there's a rejection 
There's a rejection of this king. God has supplied this king, yet we reject this king. God has anointed this king. God has put this king on the throne to rule over us, gently, compassionately, wisely, yet we reject. In the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, it says that Jesus came to his own people, and yet they didn't receive him. Yeah, God became a human, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, right in their very midst in first century, yet they rejected him. They rejected him. John chapter one says, but those who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. See, the Bible says that there's a king, and if you reject this king of kings, you're gonna find some king. You, you, you will eventually start adoring some king. You will bow to some king. You will follow some king. You were made for it. You can't be your own king. You, you reject uh, this king that God has placed uh, in this position of king. Uh, yet if you reject this king of kings, you're going to find some king. And if you don't find the real king, you'll find another king, and that king will poison your life. And if you deny, think about it, if you deny your physical body food, right, just, just try to say, I'm not going to eat food for, for some extended period of time, eventually, you're just going to break down and end up eating something. You have to. The same way happens with uh, your spiritual and your emotional body that if you deny your spiritual body a savior, eventually, you deny your spiritual body a savior, eventually you're going to look to a savior. You're going to look to this knight in shining armor. You're going to find some knight in shining armor. Uh, maybe it's romantically, maybe it's politically, emotionally, financially. That's what it means here in verse 1. Verse 1 where it says, The nations and the peoples, they plot in vain. See, all other kingdoms are conspiring against King Jesus and God's kingdom. That's what Psalm 2 is talking about. We hate this king. We don't want this king. We don't want this king in control over us. God has anointed him. God has installed this Messiah, this Jesus. Verse 3, here's the basic instinct of every human being. Look at verse 3 where it says, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Verse 3 is this fear of a king that's going to have us shackled. It doesn't want a king to do that to us. You don't want a king to do that to you. And so the basic instinct of every human being is, is to say, I'll be my own king. I'll reject the king of kings and I'll have life my own way. And the image here is one of a, a yoke. Uh, Jesus talks about that in the New Testament, about a yoke and following him is, is not a hard yoke. It's not a heavy yoke. It's actually a light yoke because it's Jesus who's carrying it for you. So the image here is that of a harness, a harness, and, and see, it's like a young child. A young child thinks, take that yoke off of me. Take that harness off of me. I don't want God to be king in my life. I don't need this king, Jesus. 
See, the creator, God the creator has rights over us. He made us. He's our creator. He's our king. And yet sometimes we say, I want to be my own. Uh, We want to be our own king of our own story. I'll do it my way. Here's another quote where it says, kings are not born, they are made by universal hallucination. (laughs) Very interesting quote. I'll say it again. Kings are not born, they are made by universal hallucination. That's Bernard Shaw. He he was an Irish playwright and political activist in his uh, book called Maxims for Revolutionists. He's letting us know that you can create your own sense of kingship. You can try to hallucinate and come up with that in your own mind. And yet the Bible, we know that the Bible tells us that we hate this idea. When it explains us, we hate this idea of someone saying, I'm going to be king over you. I'm going to be ruler over you. Or a God that's saying that to us. Romans chapter 8 is an example that in our natural mind, there's enmity, there's hatred towards God. Isn't that what makes hell so hellish? That I'm my own king. That's what makes hell so hellish. That's what creates a hell in your marriage. That's what creates a hell in the neighborhood. That's what will create a hell in your life. That I'm rejecting King Jesus and I'm going to be my own king. And guess what? Everybody else is saying that as well. I'll be my own king. Some people have objections to the Bible saying that we reject King Jesus in this way. They say, hey, hey, we're good people. We don't reject They don't hate King Jesus like that. An average person doesn't hate God and plot against God in that way, right? We believe in God. See, the Bible, though, doesn't say that people are hostile toward the concept of God. But the biblical God, that is what people are hostile towards. That is what people reject. As a God who thunders on Mount Sinai when giving the Ten Commandments and says, be holy for I am holy. A God who says, leave everything else and come follow me, be my disciple. Love me more than all else. See, the biblical God puts that kind of yoke on you, that sort of yoke on you, that sort of harness on you, not a straight jacket, but that sort of yoke on you and says, you belong to me. I am your king. You are my son. You are my daughter. You belong to me. When you hear the the song lyric of Herod in Jesus Christ Superstar, get out, you king. Get out of my life. That's where a lot of people are coming from. Those those are the words of the human heart. Get out of here, King Jesus. It's okay if you're going to be compassionate and loving and gentle. And, and not really push back on some of, some of my activities. But, but don't start meddling. Don't, don't try to become king in my life. I'm doing just fine. And here's another way that some people reject King Jesus. They use religion. They use their religion to reject King Jesus. I mean, some of 
Some of you listening to this may be thinking, hey, I'm, 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 fair, I'm a fairly good moral person. I'm a pretty good person. In fact, I might be better than most. If God showed up right now to decide who God would let into heaven, I would have to say, maybe I don't want anybody to know this, but I would have to say that I think he would let me in because I think I'm pretty good. I haven't killed anyone. Or do you believe that you're a helpless sinner? That you're a helpless sinner? That you have absolutely no hope of ever being received by God except on the mercy of Jesus Accept on the mercy of King Jesus. Accept that you have a representative called King Jesus that lived a life for you. And that's the only way that we get accepted into God's kingdom and into God's heaven. How do you know that you're a Christian? Here's, here's how you know that you're a Christian. Have you acknowledged have you acknowledged, have you, have, you, have you seen sometimes how much you dislike this yoke or this harness, this kingship of Jesus? You don't take it lightly. You admit that at times you resist God's kingship and ownership in your life. See, only Christians can truly admit this. Only the Holy Spirit can help you admit that. And the only way to become a friend of God is to admit that you're an enemy of God without King Jesus ruling in your life. And unless you admit that you're an enemy of God, you really are an enemy of God. See, it's the mercy of King Jesus that moves us from being an enemy of God to truly being a friend of God. The third thing we want to talk about here from Psalm 2 is receiving this King Jesus. Yeah, God gave us this King. He anointed this King. We, we, we reject this King. And lastly, the psalmist here is wanting us to receive this King. There's an invitation to pledge glad allegiance to King Jesus. A lyric from Bruce Springsteen in the song Badlands. He says, poor man want to be rich. Rich man want to be king, and a king ain't satisfied till he rules everything. Another reason right there why you and I are not qualified to be our own king, and that we reject King Jesus. We don't think God's going to do a good job in God's kingship, therefore we try to install ourselves as king, and yet truly the human heart is not satisfied until we're king over everything, not just ourselves, but everyone. And we're not qualified. We're not qualified. Receiving King Jesus, though, here in verses 10 through 12, there's some very practical verses that summon us that although we have a king, and sometimes we hate this king and we reject this king, is that we need this king. We'll never find blessedness without this king and, and, and serve this king and kiss this king. See, there's no in-between. There's no in-between. If you receive this king, you, you, you will love this king. Or you won't serve and kiss this king. You'll perish, these verses say. See, you can, you can serve the king and have the promise of refuge. And that's what he's promising you and I as we look at this. 
The image of the yoke and this harness of King Jesus, we have to go back to this because Jesus in Matthew 11 said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the yoke eventually becomes a refuge. Yeah, the very thing about receiving Jesus as king that may make you feel like there's going to be chafing about that yoke, that very yoke eventually, in time, in time, gives you a refuge. That confinement eventually gives you space and freedom to become the real you. Here's an illustration. Here's an illustration. A violinist. A violinist, uh, you, you know, you, you want that artistic gift realized. And so what do you do? What do you do? That violinist is yoked to that violin. Hours every day, yoked, harnessed to that violin. Some days that violinist loves to play the violin, loves the yoke, loves that harness. Some days truly dislikes being yoked to the violin. But as time goes on, that yoke becomes a refuge. That very violin becomes a refuge for this person. As time goes on, this person's artistic skills start to blossom and they begin to express themselves in a way that they would have never been able to without that yoke. That's what the kingship of Jesus looks like. That as you and I are learning to surrender and submit to King Jesus, we begin to flourish. We begin to flourish. Isn't it tragic, though, when a kid, when a child comes to you and says, why didn't you make me practice more? Why didn't you make me uh, study that violin and practice that violin more and more and more and more? Why didn't you make me? And here's the answer. Here's the answer that a parent really ultimately needs to say to that child. I can't make you. And that's the thing about the yoke. That's the thing about this harness and this kingship of Jesus. You can't make someone. And God isn't making you. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. The yoke has to be received by you. You have to take it on. The Bible says that there's potential and you'll blossom as you come under this yoke of King Jesus. That's when you're going to flourish. That's when you're going to blossom. And the Bible also lets us know that we can't even understand ourselves. How could we even be our own king if sometimes we don't even know what we need or even know what we want? And the Bible tells us that, that we need a king. We need a king that, you, that, that you're no longer in charge of your life. You need, you need to come under submission of the lordship of Christ. I still remember the person who led me to Christ. They knew, they, they, they knew that I was chafing against this person of Jesus who is king. This, this person who led me to Christ knew that I was chafing about Christ being lord and king. And this person told me that I would never truly be happy unless I surrendered my life to the kingship of Jesus. 
Oh, how true that statement uh, and that reality really is. That God hasn't taken away my life, but God has given me more life. And that's what's promised here. That unless you submit for what you were made for, you will not experience the refuge that God has experienced. And that's because we need to feel like we count. We, we need to know that we're loved. Well, here's the invitation. Here's the invitation to receive Jesus as king. And, and we mean on an ongoing basis. We mean on a, on a daily basis. How to treat Jesus as king. How do you do that? Four quick applications coming from verses 11 and 12. The first one is serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. This is how you treat Jesus as king. You serve him as Lord. J.I. Packer uh, was a Christian theologian, uh, an author in his book, Knowing God. He says, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. That's That's a constant refrain in the Psalms. And it is a necessary word. For God often keeps us waiting. God is not in such a hurry as we are. And it is not his way to give more light on the future than we need for action in the present or to guide us more than one step at a time. When in doubt, do nothing, but continue to wait on God. When action is needed, light will come. That's how you treat Jesus as king, is you serve the Lord. Again, we're getting these from verses 11 and 12, where it says, serve the Lord. You serve the Lord by not getting busy for God, as J.I. Packer points out, but it's truly waiting on God. See, I have, con- I have conversations, and sometimes I have conversations with people, and I may say something like, I-, I-, I can see, I can hear that you're not forgiving this person that you're telling me about. And they say, yeah, that's right, I'm not. And I say, well, what... What are you going to do about it? What do you feel led to do about that? And the Christian is usually the ones that say, I need help. I don't know what to do about it. I know it's wrong not to forgive this person. What do I do? What do I do? God, help me. Please lead me, God. And the other type person usually says something like, yeah, I, I, know, I know it's wrong. I know forgiving this, not forgiving this person is wrong, but you know what? This person really deserves it. This person really deserves it, and you know what? Don't tell me how to run my life. And that gets to you and to me that if we say to God, if we say to God, I'll obey God if it feels good. I'll let God be king. I'll let Jesus be king if it's practical, or if it becomes popular, then Jesus is not king in your life, if that's your attitude. But he's just simply giving you recommendations. He's just simply giving you advice that you're the one who's ultimately going to decide and choose what you're going to do. You're going to decide who you sleep with. You're going to decide who you forgive, or if you forgive. You're going to decide at what you're going to do. But see, look at who Jesus is. Not my will be done. Not my will, but your will be done, O God. Those are the words of Jesus. That's what it means to treat Jesus as king. Serve the Lord, it says. 
The second thing it says here in verses 11 and 12 is celebrate his rule. Celebrate his rule. Almost sounds like an oxymoron. How can you celebrate his rule? Isn't his rule oppressive? It's to say that God knows best. That's how you can celebrate his rule. It's to say that God knows best in your life. Not just, oh, praise Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yet, in this part of my life, God, keep your mouth shut. Don't be the leader or the ruler or the king of this area. I got it all on my own. It's to accept the kingship of Jesus. I'm thinking of Job chapter 23 where he's wrestling with God. He's wrestling with God. Yes, celebrating God's rule sometimes means to wrestle with God. Job 23, he's saying, I don't sense God's presence and the things that God is allowing fills me with terror, but God knows my way. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as pure gold. See, if, if we celebrate his rule, if we are learning to celebrate his rule, and if I submit, I'll become more loving. I'll become more compassionate because he's turning me and you into that. The third thing is to kiss the sun. Not the sunshine, but to kiss the sun. Kiss the sun. It's referring to the son of God. Yeah, Jesus, the Messiah, is the son. He's the heir of David. He is this anointed one. Kiss the sun. That is what it looks like in how you treat Jesus as king. Very often, people come to Jesus because there's some need, right? There's some need. Something's gone wrong in their life. You can come to Jesus and you can say, I'll be happy only when these things work out. And if these things don't work out, God and Jesus, and if you don't answer these prayers and do it in this way, I'm out. That's not kissing the sun. Kissing the sun is uh, to, to, to be ravaged by God's beauty. It's to be ravaged by, it's to be captivated by the plan and the goodness of this sun. Kissing the sun, that's what that means. That your affections, your emotions are also in submission to this king. Kiss the sun. We're no longer using this king to get what I want. And the fourth and final one here is, is to take refuge in King Jesus See, if you're too pessimistic with with what Jesus can do in your life, right? If you're very pessimistic, if if you're you know uh, saying, well, oh, you know, nothing really big gonna happen in my life. I mean, yeah, you're you're talking about Jesus being king, but come on, nothing's really big gonna take place in my life. There's not really gonna be some big change that I'm gonna experience. If you're that pessimistic, you're not taking refuge in King Jesus. If you're that pessimistic with what Jesus can do in your life, you're not treating him as king. Pray big. He's the king. Trust God for big things because he's the king. Do we we treat Jesus as king? Or do we look to the problems of hurdles in our lives. And, you know, we, we, we just say, again, things so cynically, like, ah, 
Nothing's ever going to change. This Psalm 2 is telling us, blessed are those who take refuge. Blessed are those who take refuge in this King. Let's do that. Let's do that by God's help and by God's mercy. Take refuge in this King Jesus. Let's pray for that right now. Father God, we pray right now, help us. Help us obey you. Help us surrender to you. Out of love for you, the King. Forgive us for wanting to pull the yoke off. Forgive us for wanting to be our own King. Forgive us for not trusting you. Help us know true liberation and true freedom by submitting to your kingship, Lord and King Jesus. And we pray in your name. Amen.